0: So, welcome to the Cold Pizza Party podcast. My name's Lubitsa, and I'm Adam. And this is a podcast that we make about do politics I say my and name TV. Weird. I always wonder if I say my name weird <laughs> because, like, it's Lubitsa, right? But then yeah. I'm like, well, I want to like say it in a way that people can understand what I'm saying. You don't
1: worry; you, you're gonna feel pretentious if you say it
0: properly, do you? Kind. Well, I'm worried that people will be like, "What?" and then they won't understand how to say it at all, you know, because mm. their ear isn't ready to hear the. Right yeah sound so then I'm like am I saying my name in a way that I'm happy with oh yeah people want to hear you just slurping, slurping. right in their yeah, ear yeah my
1: bad I'll, I guess I'll wait till it cools down yeah and then just scalp it
0: yeah put it, <laughs> put it down I'm gonna drink. put it down put it down
1: okay but when it cools I'm gonna drink some
0: okay that's fine okay. you can like do a little T.O. sign and we'll uh Anyway, enough about our questions about whether we say our names weird. Uh, So we make a podcast about politics and TV, not our names. (laughs) Every episode we just discuss our names. Okay, good episode. (laughs) Um, And uh, we're leftists, we're Marxists, Mm -hmm. anarchists, socialists, whatever. Yeah. Yeah depends on the day no that's not true but <laughs> we're i don't feel like getting into the position. we're like
1: a mix of working class and middle class and you're an immigrant but you also grew up here and we're college educated but we also live in a trailer
0: yeah so we're <laughs> just really all over the place yeah. um and uh our taste in tv are pretty bad i mean i think they're good actually but i think that we're interested in tv that most people aren't interested in
1: well we've gotten very sick of prestige tv shows which i think is actually the correct opinion
0: yeah i agree um so we spend time thinking about like reality tv and murder tv Mm -hmm. and ancient aliens on the history channel and things like that instead of, you know, Breaking Bad or whatever. And John Oliver, God damn it! When we were traveling, every single fucking person we met asked us, when we, they would find out, okay, you don't like Trump, do you watch John Oliver? Yeah. <laughs> ah.
1: Everybody in Europe is watching John Oliver.
0: Yeah, John Oliver apparently. is huge in Europe.
1: Yeah, from one side to the other, apparently. Yeah. We only went to two countries, one on one side, one on the other. but
0: But he was big everywhere. I like John Oliver just fine, uh, but, yeah. you know, I think he's just limited in what he can do, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. for uh, politics, especially when, you know, you're working for a giant corporation like HBO. You're certainly not Viacom. going to have... Well, yeah. Is
1: it?
0: Who knows what... The, who, yeah. It changes all the time. There's
1: only three companies in America.
0: Yeah, <laughs> basically. Uh, you're not going to have a very, like, astute analysis of capitalism and you know you're gonna have that approach that I fucking hate where you act and think I suppose that you have no ideology and that that actually makes you better at analyzing the world and politics in front of you but instead it just makes you blind to your own ideology it
1: makes you amoral too yeah a lot of the time
0: but it also makes it hard for you to actually like see the flaw if you don't think you have an ideology you can't look at it you can't analyze it you can't see the flaws or you know weaker points and you can't like work on actually developing better ideas to to get you know to to yeah. shore up those if softer areas. If your areas. ideology
1: is just doing the smart thing, then you know it's like you're building a house on sand. Yeah. Like,
0: anyway, that's like the longest introduction we've ever done, which wasn't necessary true. at all. <laughs> um, but we do keep
1: it shorter than most podcasts. You have the rule of thumb to just fast forward ten minutes into a podcast, and <laughs> it depends. It it's usually, usually works it's out.
0: like three, five, or seven. I think is actually the right approach. Uh, but yeah. Doesn't matter. The important thing here is that this week we're going to talk about TV and politics, but because that's what we're doing. Oops, we did. I didn't
1: prepare anything about TV shows. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so the reason that I wanted to do this is because um, we like to try really hard not to be very much on Top- topical. Topical. That's the word. Topical. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we like to try and not be topical. And so this week, I didn't know what to talk about. So so this week,
1: you found us articles that are like between six months and and 18 months old. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because I just went through my reading list. (laughs) Really? (laughs) My browser. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what are some articles I haven't read that I think are interesting?
1: Going back to 2015.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I found one from probably at least like last year on parenting TV shows. And then that kind of reminded me and made me think of an article that I had read a couple of years ago on Ben yeah. about childhood and parenting. Definitely the so, Jackman
1: article with the best picture to accompany it ever. Did you even see that?
0: I did see it, but I don't remember now. It's
1: two little kids, probably out of a magazine, that are dressed up like asshole oh, NBA grunts. nice. Nice. Yeah. I think I have seen it. And eight. they're standing in front of like, the, it's like they're playing with their blocks, but they made an entire suspension bridge with the... Little you know, suspension cables. Nice, <laughs> and they're just like like models. One of them standing with his hands in his pockets and <laughs> looking at the camera, scamps.
0: Nice. Um, so to actually, stop-
1: it, it really. Sorry, it really creeps me out. That's, that's why I'm mentioning <laughs> it. You know how they talk about like sexualizing young, even young girls that age, even like three or four. If mm-hmm. if it's for like a like a pageant, like toddlers and tiaras, yeah. or for magazine covers. Well, it's like they did that, but with like a four year old kids that are looking like adult models
0: yeah there used i don't know if it's still on there because i haven't been on in a long time but there used to be a really good pinterest account where this woman had her imaginary daughter quinoa right and like quinoa's friends i forget their names but there were things like you know aiden and i (laughs) don't know bottle or whatever yeah yeah and um they it was basically an account full of pictures of these like model children yeah. that are posed and dressed and styled like adults. I mean, they look like you know little mini J Crew catalog
1: versions
0: right. of what you assume their parents look yeah. like, and it's really creepy because it does. It looks like babies who are going to go yachting. You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like weird. Yeah, and
1: there's something perverse about it. Not necessarily in a sexualized way, but in like an uncanny valley way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for because sure. these aren't people. <laughs> yeah. But it's a perfect metaphor for the article because that that one point they talk about. I mean, we'll get into it, but a lot of it's about um how the like neoliberal uh, system of capitalism that we have that relies on credentials and meritocracy filters all the way down to kids so they yeah. have to act like little adults
0: basically. Yeah. So I think we should stop being coy <laughs> and say the names of the articles okay. that we're talking about. Uh so one of them is, I believe it was on Jezebel. It's called For White Upper Middle Class Moms and Dads on TV These Days Parenting is Misery. And mm-hmm. that's by Kate Dries. Yeah, that was Jezebel. And the other one is on Jacobin and it's by Megan Erickson and it's called The Privatization of Childhood. Okay. Let's start out by talking about the uh, TV article and then we'll kind of, I think that'll lead us into talking about the Jacobin article. You and I have both obviously watched Catastrophe. I think for people who haven't... uh, Everybody
1: probably has. Hopefully, it's good.
0: Okay, in case you haven't, if you're not familiar, the article (laughs) says... um, It's a very funny half-hour comedy series starring Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney as an eponymous couple that gets married after Sharon becomes pregnant following a quick few days of sex... The six-episode first season encompassed their decision to keep the baby and stay together with Rob, who is American, moving to London, where the two of them met. Season two uh, is equally brief. Horgan and Delaney write all the episodes just between the two of them, but picks up a couple years after season one ends. Sharon and Rob's first child has been born, and they have a second one on the way that's also apparently unplanned. And so we've actually seen, I think, another season since then. Yeah. But that's basically how the seasons go, uh, and the, you know I think the idea that the show is called catastrophe gives you a sense of um, the show's attitude towards this, right? They decide to love, you know, love each other and keep the baby, uh, but it's total fucking catastrophe to become parents and maybe when you're strangers have, too, and, and to have an unplanned pregnancy, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so it is, like, a pretty dark comedy. Uh, there's, like, a lot of, I, I guess what it's supposed to be, like, the realistic side right. of being in a relationship and having children. And I think that the way that the show kind of explicitly does this, and I think they mentioned this in the article, too, is that the show isn't so much centered on family the way, like, a home improvement type show would have been, as much as it's centered on two adults and the effect that family has on their lives, right? And so, like, Sharon and Rob are two adults who deal with, like, very... that have, like, adult lives and deal with very adult situations, and their kids are just part of that story, right? Like, so whether it's, like, about you know having difficulties at work having difficulties with addiction mm-hmm. um yeah affair whatever in the first
1: season there were no kids because she had just gotten pregnant right. and then at, in the second season they kind of carried on the same way almost like their kids are it's kind of surprising how little they factor in as characters yeah and are more just like i don't know props or a situation
0: yeah So Catastrophe is interesting not only because of how it portrays like Rob and Sharon as adults and not as the family as one piece, right? Like they're like two atomized people, you know, and it's not like this big family unit, though I think you would see like a family in the past. And I I think that's interesting because like there has been a real rise in how adults, you know, talk about being parents, like when you read at personal essays on my, on websites like Jezebel and stuff like that, there are a lot of essays that talk about like, you know, I just don't love parenting as much as I would ha- thought I would have, or it's really fucking hard. But yes, it's like joyous at the end or whatever. Right? It's like very different than how in the past you know being a parent is everything it's who i am i I love it right like i think there there's more of a sense like not that many years ago that that was supposed to be how parenting is like supposed to feel you know parenting like most things is traditionally understood to be more difficult when you lack resources both catastrophe oh and then they talk about this other show togetherness but we've never watched it and it got canceled so i don't think we need to talk about it So both catastrophe and togetherness are shows about middle-class, let's say upper-middle-class white families, which makes their leads deep frustration with their relatively lucky place in the world slightly difficult to sympathize with, despite the fact that they're accurately representing how many middle-class parents feel about struggling to balance their obligations at work and at home. And I thought that that was kind of interesting, because later on in the article, they say, but even shows that purport to be realistic can seem fabricated. Scenes from togetherness where the parents are off doing whatever they want with no sign of child care frustrated a co worker of mine. I wish my life was like their lives, he said where they could run off and play, capture the flag, or pull all-nighters stealing sand while apparently there's some magic unseen entity caring for their children. It's slightly rich then to watch a show that's all about how hard and exhausting it is to be a parent when in actuality the parents you're watching don't even have it as hard as the ostensibly well-off real-life parents they're supposed to be mirroring. When... Even a version of reality that's supposed to be comically shitty is better than what you've got. And I kind of think this about, like, Catastrophe, too, because, yeah, like, their lives, you know, they're difficult, they're, you know, they have setbacks, like, but, like, they managed to live in, like, a pretty comfortable house in London, which I assume it's, like, pretty hard to own property in London from everything that I've read. It's pretty fucking expensive and and difficult. And then they do it like most of the time only on one person's salary, right? Like either Rob is working and Sharon isn't, or then Rob loses his job and Sharon goes back to work in, as a teacher. Right. And is able to more or less support them. And they do talk about like wanting to downsize and yeah. sell their house and whatever, but they didn't, I don't think they ever even did sell the house actually.
1: No, no. She also gets like a year of maternity leave, which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah because it's supposed to be so difficult. For them.
1: Although, I mean, she gets a year. That's hilarious because she's... That's just apparently the law there. Yeah. Or her plan at her school teacher job, whatever.
0: Yeah, so I was... I don't know. I was, like, kind of interested in talking about, like... Based off of shows like this. Like, obviously, we don't have kids. And I was thinking, like, maybe we could title this something like... Should we have kids? TV says no. Because Mm -hmm. when you watch these shows, like, saying, like... Even the, you know, people that supposedly have comically shitty lives you know, have like relatively new, if not new cars, you know, a comfortable home, don't seem to have trouble finding someone to watch their children at like a reasonable rate or whatever, you know, they're able to like, like one of the things that hardly ever factors in seems to be like financial stress. And I was thinking that like in real life, it's like the opposite, right? Like all of the stress that comes along with the idea of especially an unplanned pregnancy, but even planning a pregnancy, is figuring out how the fuck are we gonna afford this right like Mm -hmm. and i was thinking at first like well why you know there's like here saying the overwhelming message is that having children is sometimes not as much joy as it is struggle whatever the important part is i was thinking why do we expect that it should be joy you know like not everything we do has to bring us joy and we live in this like society where we're like primed to constantly be looking for like the next happiness fix but then I was thinking actually why wouldn't it be joy like when you get like something new that you love like I again I've never had a child but like gotten puppies you know and you like want to play with them you want to take care of them you want to spend time with them like it's fun it's fun to watch them like figure things out for the first time it's fun to teach them new things and stuff like that so the only reason that it or one of the reasons that it's really not joy is because there's so much financial stress. And then the other reason, I think, is also pretty conservative in the sense that it's, like, a fear of, like, your loss of individuality and, like, your identity changing from you being mm-hmm. a single cool person about town to now having to suddenly be a dad or a mom. And that's so lame, you know?
1: Well, what I was thinking when you said, why should it bring you joy is because of that, because we do live in an individualistic and rationalized society. So if it didn't bring you joy or happiness, why would you do it? And the only reason people say it brings you joy is because they can't argue it brings you happiness.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah. because the idea is like day to day, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, that was a bunch of think pieces like a year ago, right? Yeah. That were like, well, we surveyed parents in our office at Huffington Post and all of them said they're not happy, but that they have joy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you go back to older shows in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't think really any of the sitcoms cover parenting in a, I don't know, more idealistic way. Until you get to shows like Full House Mm. and the sort of family sitcoms that are on either side of it a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, I think for a long time, you know, there was that idea of like children should be seen and not heard. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, but part of the argument of this Jezebel article is something it's not a great article I no feel like. it's
0: not that's why we supplemented it yeah. with a better article <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it's one of those articles that just kind of ends without
0: well they just finishing like, they or concluding anything touch on like one key point here and then they like they it's like lit, almost a throwaway line and that to me it's like the crux of the, the whole piece really but they don't the author doesn't seem doesn't to realize to that so it says um But despite the discussion surrounding helicopter parenting and treating children too delicately, despite the growing number of women choosing not to have children, our world still does revolve around how to care for them, particularly in the U.S., where parents, regardless of their station in life, have some of the worst paternal leave options in the world.
1: Wait. But then how does the world revolve around how to care for your children? I
0: don't know. It says for many, and then here's another line, uh, for many new parents who have spent their lives being treated as people in their own right, being defined by their role as mom or dad has frustrated them more than anything.
1: Okay. Then in what way does our well, world revolve around Well, first of all, it really... What? Uh, uh,
0: for parents who have spent their lives being treated as people in their own right, what happens when you're a mom or dad? I don't know. No
1: longer a person.
0: But what I think happens, or at least what it seems like happens to me as an adult who doesn't have children, is that you're seen as more fully adult by the rest of the world. Yeah. You're actually seen as more of a person in your own right. Whereas the people who, you know, choose for or for whatever reason don't have children are seen as sort of perpetually adolescent, actually. Like, you know, Mm. living this carefree, responsibility-free single life. And it's almost there's a sense, I think, in a lot of cases, like, how dare you?
1: I I thought the most salient point in this article was... uh, She's talking about that other TV show we didn't watch. And she's talking about how their parents, um, the main characters... But they have time to, like, do a, a scavenger hunt of all adults or something like that. Uh, I mean, basically, yeah. they have time to, like, get into hijinks and extracurricular activities, and they don't even talk about who's watching their kid. Yeah, I remember that And that's that part. so common for TV shows. Yeah.
0: Well, it's one of those things that I always notice on TV in general, which is that, like, well, actually, in this other article, she says at some point that pop culture is bourgeoisie culture. Mm. And that's, like, so, so true, because when you watch TV... Like, so many of the things that happen on TV just gloss over the amounts of money you would actually need to live the type of life that these people are living. Whether that's having a house in London. Or LA. Or LA. Or uh, affording childcare to go do stupid shit with your friends. Or, like, you know, setting up some big surprise party at some getaway that's supposed to be the big romantic gesture. Like... The big romantic gesture in most movies is like it costs a lot of fucking money, right? Like, or just whatever it is. Like they just—it doesn't matter. There's, it is like capitalism, right? There's all these like hidden costs, people that people like don't notice and or don't see and aren't supposed to see by design, and that's what makes it seem in capitalism's case seem efficient in the case of tv shows you know makes them seem cool or fun or like hit parents or whatever and it'll in both cases it sells you a fantasy that's just not real right Mm -hmm. that's just not the reality of what it is it's not the reality of parenting that's not the reality of capitalism Yeah. yeah um that
1: article was light and fluffy and there wasn't much there this article might be a little dense when we start talking about it so we'll have the opposite problem. That's, okay, moment. so
0: what I was that's why I was pointing to that passage, though, in this article that says our world still does revolve around, speaking about children, our world still does revolve around how to care for them, particularly in the U.S., where parents, regardless of their station in life, have some of the worst parental leave options. So this article by Megan Erickson basically points out all the reasons why becoming a parent is so stressful, actually. And the parental leave is really just the very tip of the iceberg, as they say. Uh, it's, there's so many reasons. I mean, she starts out the article with this depressing uh, set of statistics. Today, nearly half of American children born to parents with low incomes grow into adults with low incomes. And 40% of children born to wealthy parents become high-income adults. That's just, yeah. a, a, just to so get in, you... So in
1: both cases, it's nearly half. Yeah, and, but... And meaning nearly half, don't even dip or rise into the middle. They yeah. either stay at the bottom or at the top.
0: Yeah, but in one case, it says nearly half. In the other case, it says 40%. And the nearly half are the ones that fall to the bottom.
1: And oh, the
0: 40%, the less than half, are the ones that manage to stay wealthy what, even when their parents are wealthy. So basically, falling to the bottom is a lot easier than staying at right. the top, even if your parents are at the top, which uh, is right, pretty right. fucking crazy. No, I
1: thought that was a great point later on in the article. Oh, I didn't um, know not to, that. well. That's not, my analysis. No, no, no. They <laughs> don't say that explicitly. She, Megan Erickson, doesn't. Um, but she talks about how middle class and upper middle class kids are competing so hard to get their kids into preschool because they're... They're aware of how easily it is to slip. Yeah. Yeah. In an adult life.
0: Yeah. This um, article is
1: great because it's more like the nightmare of adulthood has creeped into childhood. And it almost makes the argument that, like, um, that, well, you just, you start because I'm jumping ahead towards the end, I guess.
0: Okay. Um, family continues to be a sentimental concept imagined as a refuge from the wild and awful world of. Autocratic workplaces. But its project has become protect has become protecting and preparing offspring for the cutthroat global economy. Right. Uh, The contemporary family has become a competitive unit, not only Mm -hmm. distinct from, but actively in conflict with the larger society. So I think this is this already starts to give you a sense of why there's so much anxiety about becoming a parent, especially Uh. if you're like a white upper or whatever, middle-class person, Mm. because essentially, like, the minute that you, I mean, you're already in competition with other people, but now you have a dependent that you have to, like, also, like, groom to compete with other people for, you know, resources and access, like.
1: Yeah. Actually, that happens in Catastrophe, right? They're middle and upper class, and she gets a generous maternity leave policy, but they still feel the pressure so much that um, Rob's character goes back to work at a place where he was basically like, sort of sexually assaulted in a way. Yeah. Um. Just because, and he hated working there because
0: it's like a super, it's like over the top evil yeah, company, yeah, right. like medical pharma. Yeah, company. he's like doing
1: PR for drugs that are you know destroying lives, basically. Yeah. And he had to go back to work there because he felt so much anxiety about having this kid coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and actually, um, here's how our government helps you prepare for this. It says that the US Department of Agriculture has prepared an annual estimate of the cost of raising a child. Parents are expected to spend uh, $245,340 to raise a child born in 2013. Mm-hmm. A flyer-slash-PSA re- released by the department depicts an imaginary online shopping website modeled on Amazon.com with the image of a baby priced at that amount and a mouse arrow hovering ominously over the phrase, add to family? I hate that. Under... Ha, 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 I know. Ha.
1: It's obviously from some, you know, PR thing to meant to make you think really hard about having children and to make sure that you wait until you're old enough and have a stable enough marriage and job to have a child.
0: Yeah, but what's it's also so fucking dystopian because yeah. I mean, and she she points this out, but essentially, so You have that. You have the USDA that helpfully provides the cost of raising a child calculator, which allows parents to create their own individualized estimate based on household income, marital status, children, Mm. etc.
1: So you can sit down with all your receipts and calculate the perfect year to have a child. uh, yeah.
0: And it says, parents are thus encouraged to think of the act of reproduction as, above all, a personal economic choice. Mm. Which is, like, before I read that sentence, basically, in the margin, I was like, this is so stupid and not helpful and is only created because of someone's perverse ideology, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. the only person who's... You have to be such a fucking, you know, like, a hard-on for capitalism to think that... Any one of these things, whether it's putting a price tag on a baby over an Amazon.com <laughs> card or, you know, like giving you a calculator to help you do an itemized, you know, cost yeah. benefit analysis or whatever. <laughs> like, who would do that? Who? No one. No one does that. Even, no. like, the most ardent conservatives, like, talk about having children for a variety of reasons, including, like, you know, tradition Family values, religious values, whatever. No one is sitting down and like, well, I don't know, is two hundred forty five thousand a fair <laughs> yeah. estimate for a child? Over like for that...
1: eighteen years or whatever, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like,
1: who? What? How can you also, even put that in your head? Exactly.
0: Like... Do you know how much money we've spent in the last five years?
1: Let alone um, eighteen. I
0: have no idea. Yeah. Between insurance, gas, vacations, booze. Food. Yeah, I have no clue. literally no clue. No. Moving, like, I, that, that means nothing to me. Like, right. who cares? It's like telling me that over a lifetime, the college graduate earns like a million dollars more than... Yeah. It's like, it literally means nothing to me. Unless you're telling me I'm going to get a million dollars, like in a lump yeah, sum yeah. that I can use, it means nothing.
1: Yeah, I was reading, there's this really great article that sam chris did with this uh person ellie may O'Hannigan or something like that she's big on twitter too but it's in the baffler and it's about like being depressed about climate change basically and how it's political to be depressed about climate change and he there's a line in there where they talk about how we in our like modern capitalist system the way it is we um it's rational to like use your short use your earnings in the short term to enjoy the short term because you cannot plan for the long term. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I feel we that way like all the a, time. in a
1: system that is that thrives on instability and enforces you to survive in instability. Yeah. So how can you plan long term at all?
0: I feel like that all the time. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about, like, the way that we're taught to, like, um, okay, like, you get a loan and then you're supposed to pay every, like, a mortgage, you know, right. and then you're supposed to pay every month. And if you have a little extra money... Pay a little extra, and then you can pay down the principal faster, and then you'll own your home faster. Okay, but what happens is if you have a medical catastrophe in the middle of those 30 years? You can't get
1: that money back.
0: Yeah. But more importantly, yeah, you, not just you can't get that money back. What happens? Okay, you're 15 years into paying your mortgage. You're paying down that principal just as fast as you can, but you still have many years before you're going to be able to own your home. So you've put in all the extra money you have into this mortgage, you have a medical catastrophe. Forget about, okay, maybe through some kind of um, pulling out of the equity, getting, refinancing your home, you could maybe get some money out of it to spend. Nick. Forget that. More importantly, not only have you locked all that money in, but if you miss enough payments because of mm, your medical right. catastrophe or whatever, they're foreclose on your home. Anyway, so,
1: yeah, it doesn't matter that you're paying extra. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So you just put in, you just, made that more valuable for them to foreclose on, you know? So now they have your home and all the money that you put in, and you've got nothing. All
1: the extra, too. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. They have more money than they needed to have from you at that point, and you have nothing in case of an emergency or whatever Mm -hmm. to fall back on. A lot
1: of the times they scam you, too. Don't, like, your mom gave you great advice not to pay extra on on your mortgage one day, assuming we have one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Set it in a separate account and let it build. And if you get enough to pay it off, just pay it off. Yeah. Also, don't pay extra on your student loans, anybody who's listening, because they're probably scamming you. They will just let it sit and subtract it from your next payment without telling you. And then you just get a lower bill. And you just think, like, oh, I got a lower bill this month. That's fine. They change sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you don't realize that. You gave them money to pay down your principal, and they didn't apply it. But they just it. didn't put it towards the principal. Yeah, they and, yeah. just sat on it. Yeah.
0: So that's why it's so hard, though. Yeah, exactly. In a, in a economy that thrives on instability to plan yeah. long term, and this idea that I'm going to sit down with a calculator, and what I calculate today is going to mean anything by the time my child mm-hmm. is, like, five, even, let alone 15... Yeah. Is absurd. No, the only
1: rational thing you can do is just buy good wine or whiskey or whatever you like and enjoy it now. <laughs> yeah,
0: enjoy your life yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So they actually talk about in this article too. I keep saying they, but it's really just me. Okay. Just uh, such a good article. I assume multiple. We're people just wrote gender it. neutral. Yeah, across all the, time. the board. Yeah, even yeah. when people are like, no, specifically <laughs> identify me as she. We refuse <laughs> to give into the gender norm the binary. binary. Yeah. So at some point she talks about how because raising a child is so expensive in America for especially like middle class families, it has to be an investment, you know. Okay. Yeah. And so she talks about these different companies like a perfect example that, you know, so you buy like for your little investment, you buy bugaboo strollers, which are made by a Dutch mobility company with lots of marketing materials about exploring the world and no mention of what is presumably being carried or concealed inside (laughs) the stroller, or South Africa-based Bumbo, uh, which sells sells baby seats that encourage practice of postural head and trunk control, (laughs) and a crawl ball advertised as stimulating hand-eye coordination and motor skills, all in the name of, quote, protecting your most valuable asset
1: oh my god gross yeah we live in a fucked up society when you're like well, how do i buy the best baby stroller what's the right baby stroller to buy well, and it takes that, months to figure this it out this is that
0: new victorians shit that we talk about all the time right es- especially when you're like middle class yeah. it's like nothing can just be like
1: but at least that at least that was about like the drive to use your leisure time in a way that symbolizes your education or enriches your um, yourself.
0: But it's a it's but
1: this is but like, it's
0: it's a way of developing your human capital.
1: Yeah. So that's it true. just
0: extends that now you're gonna develop it's not just your human capital, now you're in charge of someone else's human capital. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like a hedge fund manager. You're gonna develop yeah, yeah. somebody else's capital. What if you
1: <laughs> <laughs> grew up and it had scoliosis <laughs> and you're like, my God, why didn't I buy
0: that <laughs> stroller? <laughs> why didn't we spend Five hundred more dollars on a stroller. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like some of these things are like thousands of dollars. Doesn't it mention insane. one of them
1: got famous on Sex and the? Same. Yeah,
0: the Dutch mobility, the Bugaboo mm-hmm. stroller. Yeah. um Yeah, and so because it's just, never
1: enough just to do the right thing. You also have to symbolize that you're doing the right thing. It has to yeah. be on display to other people.
0: But I like that she just points out. Um, For a few dollars, a nursery can be equipped with plastic blocks in different colors and textures, homemade or store-bought rattlers, crayons, chalk, cookie cutters, play-doh, markers, sand, and string. Tearing construction paper is a challenging task for a two-year-old, which helps develop fine Mm. motor skills, as is gathering leaves or cutting with scissors, which builds hand-eye coordination. Babies do not need to be inspired to grow. They grow. What baby humans need more than anything is as simple as what any mammal needs. Comfort. And so again here, this is, I think, why all that anxiety about becoming a parent. Because there is no guarantee in our society that you'll be able to always provide comfort. Like we're talking about. There's all this instability. Even if you like start out with the ability to provide comfort for your child at the beginning of their life, you may lose that stability, right? Someone again has a medical emergency that, you know, costs thousands of dollars or loses a job or you lose your home or whatever. And then you are, there's always, even for middle-class, maybe especially for Mm -hmm. middle-class families that have, you know, kind of clawed their way to that middle-class position there's always the sense that, like, the bottom could fall out at any moment. Yeah. And so that's why you're, when you can, is, you know, not planning for the future, in or planning for the future, but in this, you know, weird way where you're buying special balls to, you know, yeah, develop their spines or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's weird. It completely cuts across class. And at least working class people typically have, like, they live near their family, too. You know, they have um, grandparents or aunts and uncles that work part time or something that can watch kids sometimes or an extended friend network. But like, you know, us who've moved across the country multiple times for different jobs, we, we don't have that to fall back on. Yeah. Um, also, I think it cuts across class in a way where like um, she says later that uh, working class children are objects of suspicion in contrast to these uh, mm-hmm. middle and upper class kids who are like an investment portfolio. Um, working class kids are objects of suspicion defined by what they lack. What um, They lack high enough test scores or self-confidence or the ability to regulate their own behavior. So, But that sets up um, more anxiety for you even if you're a middle or upper class parent because you have to keep your kid away from picking up these things that signify lower class status. Yeah. So you have to do everything in your power to make sure they can regulate their behavior, to make sure they have all the test prep they need to get good scores, to make sure that they're doing extracurricular activities just so that they, they can be distinguished from working class kids.
0: Yeah. Actually, she has this line here. This is uh, childhood is now a curated experience for the rich and a desperate challenge full of lotteries and high stakes for middle class and working class families who aspire toward upward mobility but it's not a particularly pleasure it's not particularly pleasurable for anyone so like what you're saying it's causing anxiety for everyone actually yeah. right whether you're lower class or middle class or the child or the adult no one is happy in that situation but everyone you know sort of has to Again, it's that idea, like, you're actively in conflict with other families because you're competing for the spots in the best schools. Like, Mm and she talks here about in New York City how, you know, from, I think, kindergarten or whatever, they're, like, applying to schools across the city to see which ones their children are going to get into and whatever. Like, it sounds insane. I I can't imagine just not going to, like, the elementary school that's closest to your house, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I thought that that was really interesting um, how, you know, basically this intensifying economic stratification pushes everyone to the edge. Right. right?
1: Even the people that are higher up.
0: Yeah. And actually later on, um, she has a quote from Brian Jones, a former public school teacher. uh, Parents' willingness to embrace these uber-strict test regimes for their very small children, even though we know it makes those children anxious and upset, Mm -hmm. is connected to the fact that the parents feel and know that the labor market is tightening and shows that their children's prospects are tightening. If they knew that the kid was going to be okay, if $15 an hour minimum uh, Mm -hmm. was the minimum wage, and you could go to college for free, everybody house has health care, there's plenty of affordable housing. If they just knew that that kid was going to be okay there would be way less hysterical pressure of making your five-year-old jump through the standardized test hoop. and I thought that was really the crux of all of this honestly because I mean that's that's where all this anxiety comes from and why the anxiety because from the minute that you have a kid it's like there's a countdown clock now to when you have to start yeah, like competing for resources to prep this kid so that by the time that they're 18, they can get into college so that once they leave college, they can either find a good job or get into a good graduate program or whatever. So eventually they'll be okay mm-hmm. because there's only so many slots available in this world mm-hmm. for people to make a living wage, basically. Yeah. And that's really what it's all about. We're not even talking anymore about having like... A particularly cushy jobs, you know, I mean
1: Right, right. When we, you know, who are were former children graduate college and enter the world, even though we went to college, you know, yeah. we don't feel a sense of stability. We don't no. feel that we'll be okay now. Yeah, I mean it's like this it's, when the
0: economy crashes right as you graduate. And,
1: yeah. And the only reason that our our parents would have assumed we would be if they got us into college is because we believe in this meritocracy. Yeah. But this belief in the meritocracy is the same thing that causes this infinitely growing downward pressure to excel at the earliest stages like pre-k yeah yeah
0: and i think that this is what these tv shows are expressing right except again these tv shows don't have Or they try not to have ideology, essentially. So they don't have any analysis for why it feels so anxiety-inducing to have children. Instead, all they can do is show you how it feels. And then you as the viewer, especially as, like, a childless viewer, you're left just with the impression that parenthood is all anxiety, you know, having to like conform like do everything for your kids and take them to a bunch of soccer games or whatever and there's not even a sense just from watching the tv shows of why why do you have to commit to taking your children to all these extracurricular activities and doing all this shit oh because the development of human capital because we have all this anxiety Mm -hmm. about basically are they going to be able to survive once they're not under my care right you know
1: And also, oh, you have to make sure your baby hears 50,000 words by the time it's two years old. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I just think, like, that's why I wanted to do this article with that discussion of TV, because I think a lot of times, you know, the way that we experience the world, like, is through TV. It's it's a window into the lives that we don't get to see or know that much about. You know, you and I have a couple of friends who have kids, but we don't see them every day. We don't know what it's like for them. And so I think... You know, when we look at TV shows like this, you can be left feeling sort of like, why the fuck would anyone ever want to have children, you know?
1: Do you want to compare it to what Ericsson says about Finland or what we saw in Macedonia?
0: Yeah, I thought what... Oh, yeah, we could do that, too. I thought the thing about Finland was, like, really... It almost made me want to cry, because it's, like, actually quite (laughs) beautiful, I think, you know? In Finland, they...
1: When you have a baby. When you have a baby...
0: The government gives you this option to... Since since
1: 1938, they offer either to give you $190, which nobody takes. 95% of people take the other option, which is they send you a big box. It's got clothes, sheets, toys, clothes, including a snowsuit, a hat, a light hooded suit, knit hat, (laughs) booties, mittens, leggings, a balaclava, because, you know, it's cold up there.
0: Overalls.
1: Um, Socks, yeah. Bath needs nail scissors, hairbrush, toothbrush, washcloths, various other essentials, a thermometer, a picture book, bra pads and condoms for the parents, and the box doubles as a crib. That's yeah. how thick it is. Yeah. Like its it has got a little mattress in there. Yeah. And it which, can be the crib.
0: Yeah, which is so incredible. I don't I think that's like so Awesome. And, I mean, they talk about, they have this one guy here who says, this felt to me like evidence that someone cared. Someone wanted our baby to have a good start in life. And now when I visit friends with young children, it's nice to see we share something in common. It strengthens the feeling we're all in this together. And I was just like, man, man, what a difference. You know, we've talked before about this idea of like a child credit um, that, Basically, for every child you have, you would get a paycheck from the government or a check from the government to support you Mm -hmm. every month. And we've talked about what a feeling that would be of assurance, uh, especially because, like, we're talking about how difficult it is to plan for something long term in our society. And to have a check that you can count on for the entirety of your child's childhood is incredible. You know, Mm -hmm. that would really help you as a parent budget and plan
1: Also, you could have as many babies as you want, so you can keep getting more money.
0: Yeah, obviously, obviously, yes. yeah.
1: There's no limit to the amount of babies you could have because just you'll be profiting. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> but more importantly, this idea that everyone has something in common, everyone in the country shares. Or everyone that's had a child shares this common experience with each other of having something tangible. You know, we talked about mm-hmm. the check being something ch- tangible right, before right. That you could hold in your hand. But man, to have all your like yeah, first sh- things that you need is. They like,
1: share these objects. It's yeah. interesting
0: because when I, when you think about having a child, like one of the things that like I've thought about before is like god how are we even gonna know all the things we need i guess we'd have to like buy a book and try to figure out like <laughs> yeah, you know, know what are the things that you're supposed to buy what size diapers are you supposed to Can buy you imagine like,
1: trying to google it and you, the first page is just gonna be um, all spammy
0: and then like, they're gonna track you for months it's like, gonna be
1: like dot ehow.com how to have a baby yeah. like And
0: Pampers, like, for months tracking you, trying to, like, push their shit on you. Johnson and Johnson. Yahoo
1: Answers. Yeah. What do I need if I have a baby? So,
0: like, what? I'm sure, like, parents in Finland also buy baby books and figure out, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what they need to know from a family, whatever. But to have to know that, like, you're going to have the basic things you need for that, like, first week or whatever, at least at minimum, because your country gave them to you, that would be such an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Well, it I must really... be a
1: completely different cultural mindset.
0: Yeah. Well, but speaking it's of kind
1: of relevant and yeah, it's like a different cultural a attitude different... towards how to be a person in the world.
0: Yeah. We saw the same thing when we were in Macedonia and in uh, Paris too, right? Like people bring their children with them to mm-hmm. socialize and the children are expected to know how to behave in a restaurant, in a cafe, in, like, sort of, like, I don't know, they're not bars. They're mainly, like, kind of outdoor cafe areas where people drink and Mm -hmm. have coffee and whatever Mm -hmm. and socialize. But, like, we would see, you know, or, like, there's so much more walking. So, actually, like, you know, having a stroller, maybe you invest in a Mm -hmm. Dutch mobility stroller or whatever, (laughs) but, you know, you have a stroller, you get together with friends, you can walk and socialize and see other people Mm -hmm. and push your kids around and whatever and like and
1: and the kids can go play with other kids yeah even strangers like
0: which which is very normal Mm -hmm. um and the mom you know being become then like becoming a mom doesn't have to be also this anxiety that they're talking about of like losing your individuality or your identity as an individual or whatever um because you're not suddenly like one of the things that to me is always sort of like Ooh, about becoming a parent is that once you have your kid, it almost feels like then you're just for months at least going to be sort of locked away in your house taking mm-hmm. care of this like screaming creature mm-hmm. while the rest of the world moves on around you and you're not going to be able to go out anywhere, or do anything. And frankly, like our culture is sort of, as much as this person said, it's like, all about how to take care of children or whatever I, I disagree with that like if you take your kid to a restaurant and they make too much noise in america everyone's gonna be like yeah what why would you even bring your kid to a restaurant this yeah. is a nice restaurant what were they thinking know, like or i hate when we're on an airplane don't get me wrong i also hate when a kid's screaming on an airplane and crying but i hate when i'm on an airplane and then someone like next to me is like "Ugh." why can't they get their kid under control or like oh jesus i can't believe we have to all listen to this screaming kid
1: it's a child put your headphones on yeah
0: it's like the same thing they're going
1: back to like their grandparents for the first time to show them this baby like
0: yeah yeah most people are not taking their kids on like a cross country or like international (laughs) flight for fun when they're like six months old or you know it's like you it's family like you want to yeah But my point is just that like the these other countries do have, I think, more of a sense that children are citizens, you know, and they are. It's not that we should devote ourselves to taking our children to spaces that are curated for children, like, you know, soccer practices and special trips to the child art museum and the library or whatever. That's I mean, I think that's good, too. I'm sure parents and You know, Paris and Macedonia take their kids to the library, but also that children need to learn how to be like citizens of the world that they are going to live in. And that means like you go along with your parents and Mm. go to a place where it's all adults and you learn how to behave. And sometimes you're going to fuck up and Mm. scream, and that's okay. But
1: in America, we have the same attitude. These children have to learn how to be citizens of the world they live in, but that means getting all the credentials yeah honing yeah
0: these children yeah
1: it means taking it means getting every opportunity hoarding opportunities for development yeah and enrichment and credentials
0: and that's what i was thinking what is this enrichment and development what does that mean all of these things yeah it's like about credentials or maybe about like developing your child's you know hand-eye coordination or (laughs) posture or whatever but none of the Things that are discussed, no, and none of the anxieties in the TV shows we watch ever center around things like. Which actually, when I was a little kid, and I tried to imagine being a parent, was the thing that stressed me out the most. Which is like, how am I going to teach a child to be a person? Like, how am I going to teach them to be like moral? How right. am I going to teach them what's good? good,
1: to, good? Other people. To, to be a citizen of the world, understand other people. Yes,
0: yeah. to like, how am I going to teach them? Also stuff like, you know, I don't know how simple things, I guess, that are maybe easier to explain, like how rainbows happen, but also, you know, more complicated things like, I don't know, like, why is that homeless man homeless? You (laughs) know, like, that's going to be a hard discussion because it's not going to be like, what, what would I say? Like, you have to like talk about like the conditions of the world and America and capitalism, mm-hmm. like you have to explain shit to them, and trying to explain that stuff to a child in a way that they'll understand.
1: You yeah, know, I that's I that, the stuff
0: that's like harder yeah. for me that I like worry about than how I'm gonna, you know, how they're gonna learn how to like hold a ball. Like I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah. That's that doesn't worry me. You know. Yeah. But no, but none of the anxieties.
1: Are about that yeah None that the... we're
0: supposed to have whether it's about the privatization of childhood i mean i don't think that's not megan erickson's fault she's just explaining you know where these anxieties come oh, from yeah, yeah. about competition but also or you know catastrophe or something like that like it's like the anxieties are just more about the parents and being a parent and stuff like that they're
1: actually anxieties about the world it's not in, about yeah, it's not anxieties true. about having children it's yeah. the anxieties about the world that you like you the, know just pour all yeah over they're almost situation. like magnified like,
0: the effect yeah. of children just magnifies
1: or recreates it yeah yeah
0: true yeah
1: you're reproducing it when you have children and are concerned about how they'll live in the world
0: yeah is there anything else that we want to yes. talk about? okay
1: Um, so I was reading uh, David Graver's Utopia of Rules, and I'm just getting into it. I'm pretty sure that's the book title. And uh, I should thank SoundCloud user <laughs> Kiko Desnico.
0: I think that's who it was, yeah. Yeah,
1: for um, offhandedly mentioning it in a comment to us on, our, on one of our recent episodes.
0: On our episode with a, a conversation with a DACA recipient on yeah. SoundCloud.
1: Um, after After they mentioned it, I... Saw a couple other people mention it. You know, like one of those things where you learn about something that you oh, see then everywhere. you see it so. everywhere, yeah. Yeah, so I... I, well, There's a link on Libcom, you can just read the whole thing. He probably put it out there himself, David Graeber, But,
0: um... Maybe David Graeber is Kiko
1: the <laughs> He's just leaving comments like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this really reminds yeah. me of yeah. Utopia of Rules But like, man, now I'm seeing it everywhere, <laughs>
0: but it's really just David Graber.
1: Yeah, him with his own puppet accounts. Uh... I love that. That's an awesome idea. <laughs> to be like a really pretty well known, respected author, mm-hmm. but to set up sock puppet accounts to like
0: comment on yeah. SoundCloud accounts. <laughs> yeah,
1: and yeah, everything. But um, so we're talking about how these children, like child, um, the anxieties of adult life creeping into childhood, and mm-hmm. parents feeling this pressure to prepare their kids for, you know the instability of this world we live in
0: yeah and we're right? talking pretty specifically about like age. middle class and upper middle class like probably white families right like because this reminding me like obviously like i'm sure you know parents who are dealing with like immigration instability or like status instability or whatever like that like you know they have a real like very mm-hmm. legitimate anxieties that yeah. are practically tangible.
1: This article that' spent a lot of time talking about working class kids too that's true, but it they talks about the differences
0: right. I guess I'm just thinking like I can imagine that if you're that there are parents out there with like real reasons to want to like harden their children a little bit to like the realities of growing up in America you know okay, yeah, yeah.
1: I basically want to talk about I'm, that on both counts, okay. whether you're working class or middle okay. and upper. Because David Graber has this notion... Well, okay, so it's he defines structural violence, That's which is so great, because it's one of those terms that people just throw around. But um, So in Utopia of Rules, he's talking about bureaucracy. That's the topic of the book, and he approaches it from a few different ways. And I'm only a little bit through it, but towards the beginning, he says that um, bureaucracy is always it's basically he's he's talking about how american bureaucracy is always backed up by the threat of violence and that's what structural violence is as he defines it and he thinks people who use it differently are just like you know it doesn't make sense otherwise so um he says by structural violence i mean forms of pervasive social inequality that are ultimately backed up by the threat of physical harm um so like private property Mm -hmm. right um You can always just phone a police officer to come and beat somebody up if they're stealing your private property, right? So that's structural violence because rich people, you know, own stuff and the system allows them to keep poor people away from it, right?
0: Um, So you can keep your empty second home.
1: Yeah, totally, yeah. When there are homeless people. Yeah. So why is this person homeless? Yeah. I don't know. Why does, like, why do rich people have five homes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about a bureaucracy that where structures that could only be created and maintained by the threat of violence, even though that actual physical violence doesn't need to take place, just that threat needs to exist. So that's how he's defining structural violence. And I think I'm stretching the term a little bit, but not really. Basically, all these responses, all these like child rearing things that Erickson is talking about now are the consequences of structural violence. Mm -hmm. when it comes to economics the enforcement of property rights and money right it's like the cascading effects of this system where we live under the constant threat of if you don't have enough money you don't eat if you don't have enough money you don't have a house to live in Yeah. yeah if you don't get the right education you can't get the right job then you can't get the right amount of money and then you know and then then any any harm that befalls you is is justified you know, anything anybody else does to you or thinks of you or anything that happens to you, any the, a lack of healthcare, a lack of home is justified,
0: right? Yeah, I don't want to take this too off track, but I was watching this video on YouTube today and it turns out there's a lot of videos like this of how I live in my car. Hmm. And some of them, I assume, are like out of necessity, but some of them are sort of a combination of out of necessity and, well, like the girl that I was watching talk about it was like, I was, she lives actually in Columbus, Ohio, and she was spending $840 a month on a one bedroom apartment. And she's like, you know, I actually like just got a job, like I was working freelance, and then the company took me on like, full time. So like, I could obviously just stay in my apartment, I have like more stability than I did. But the thing is that like, I I'm giving nearly a $1,000 to my landlord every month just to live there. And i like, looked at other options, like buying a house or, you know, what else can I do? Like, uh, but the, you need a down payment, and it will take me, like, I live pretty frugally, comfortably, but frugally. And it'll take me, like, years to save up enough for a down payment on a house. I understand why, like, banks require that, but I can't do that mm-hmm. unless... I live in my car for a year Mm, and save up all this money. And then I could put a down payment on a house Mm, and start to build equity instead of just giving. Yeah. Yeah. But compared, well, and she's not paying for gas. She's, you know, she's paying for her phone, but she's not paying for internet anymore. She like listed a bunch of stuff where she's like, I'm just saving a ton of money.
1: But that's so inhuman to put somebody in the position where that's a rational decision.
0: And that's what I'm saying. And so... She was like, This is how I can like win essentially yeah. in this I'm society. The system. Yeah. And she talked about like how she like has these like Velcro curtains for her car so she can like have privacy uh-huh. and like, oh, she, you know, she's like rigged it up like it's as like nice a youtube how-to it's like a yeah.
1: diy project
0: yeah but it's like insane you know and yeah. like this idea that like we should all I-, I was watching someone else too where they were talking about how like oh you don't need that much space and you don't need that many things and da-da-da. and i was thinking like there's a part of me that is like yeah, I get it. Like tiny house movement, whatever. It's cool. It's cute. It's, you know, a good philosophy. If you like, want to be a minimalist and you feel like things are weighing you down and you want to be freed of the chains of material possessions and, you know, I, uh, cool. But I don't think that we should have to do that because more and more of us just can't afford to live any other way you know
1: it's a way to absolutely contort yourself to this literally physically yeah structurally violent yes yeah Yeah.
0: and but one of the things she had to talk about was how she has to she like stays in neighborhoods that she's previously like lived in because she feels like safest there but she has to like move her car like every so often and you know do all these things because cops will Oh my will God, not allow yeah. you to live in your car. Yeah, And she talked about how she never has privacy anymore. She's yeah. like, I'm always in public. She's like, I actually like have a gym membership now, which has also like caused me to work out more because that way she has access to a shower. mm But she's like, I actually take in some ways better care of myself now, like how I look and stuff than I did when I had a place where I could spend a Saturday without seeing anybody for 24 hours. Because now I'm like constantly in public, like I'm at a coffee shop, even when I'm in my car, there's windows, I mean, I can have some privacy, but overall, like you're still constantly, constantly, constantly in public. Wow. And that idea of like having private property that's, you know, yeah, like guaranteed by violence and stuff like that. Also, it's not it allows you to have private space to have like private almost like psychic space too, which is I think interesting. And when you don't have a mm-hmm. uh, when you don't have access to that, like even y- y- your body is contorted, your psychic space is invaded. I don't know. It's it, like
1: self-mutilation like, to fit yeah. into this violent society. Yeah. 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 That's a great example. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you think I'm, I've explained structural violence well enough? It's obvious enough. I think to like, so. Yeah. Man, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. It really made me feel super down. Yeah. Especially because it's in Columbus. I was like, oh, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the way that she's contorting herself, and, and I mean, it really seems like psychic mutilation, you yeah. know, to fit. I mean, into she doesn't society. see it that way, I know, to be clear, but, like,
0: but I feel like, how could. She's
1: probably just a real, like, go-getter like she the is. person who can really yeah, yeah she was,
0: i mean she's making a power vlog forward, while she's like, doing it she's
1: yeah but that doesn't mean that she's just not paying attention to like how fucked up this might be making her feel yeah you know yeah. to not have a place that you can just feel that it's stable for you to sleep yeah. there. you have to constantly move your car and you can't yeah. stay anywhere yeah i mean yeah talk about just becoming comfortable with instability so you know this person chose to be homeless to contort herself to the, this uh structure that is a, in the a hopes of ultimately making it
0: yeah into like a middle class life right into yeah. buying a home building equity i mean that's what she talked about yeah
1: the parents are doing the same thing like out of fear of the structural violence of our society mm-hmm. that if they don't do this for their kids then their kids might end up living in, in their car but like not of their own volition mm-hmm. Yeah, they've come up with, like, this weird strategy to to deal with it where they rob their kids of an actual childhood, Yeah. right? She later, in this section, the author of the Jacobin article, Erickson, is like, childhood has been reconceived not as a time to compensate for the alienated labor of adult life, but a time to prepare for adult life. Like, what happens to nostalgia, right? Isn't childhood like the repository of our nostalgia for a time before we had to labor and toil?
0: You didn't and, think so. Yeah, and
1: now we're just imaginatively completely filling that with, with work. Yeah. That's really crazy. Yeah. But it's all out of fear to fit into the society. So, Erickson talks about the difference, like I mentioned, between working class and middle class parents, even though they're all trying to contort themselves to this reality. Well, David Graeber. After he talks about structural violence, so this woman living in her car came up with this strategy to deal with structural violence, right? Uh, another, I guess, strategy that, you know, people in the lower orders, right, mean that are kept there by structural, by the structure of society, the implied threat of violence, right? Like servants, black people broadly. When you're lower in society, you have to do interpretive labor, right? Mm-hmm. And n- normally we all do that, which... Uh, he defines interpretive labor as deciphering others' motives and perceptions, right? Like their body language or whatever, or their tone of voice. So if, if you, but rich people don't have to do that yeah. because they, they can rely on the threat of violence, yeah. meaning, you know, their status, their, their, status, their money, their property, to not have to understand other people yeah and to
0: compel other people to do what they want exactly yeah it's about them it's not about other people
1: yeah he's he said he like goes on a brief tangent where he's like maybe violence is like the one form of human communication where you don't have to know anything about the other person to get what you want Mm. yeah yeah and when you create a structure of struct that involves the threat of violence yeah yeah, then you can bureaucratize that. Because you have money, you can buy as many houses as you want. Well, we were You just... can take those houses without actually even have even having to voice the threat of violence. Yeah. You know, it's not like militaries used to come in and take over your town. Now somebody w- with money can just come and
0: buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were watching that show Guilty Rich, which is a murder show that we've right. been watching recently. And we watched one about basically with the movie Foxcatcher is based on the guy, the DuPont heir Mm -hmm. that uh, ultimately murdered this like wrestler that was on his property per the DuPont guy's invitation. But um, uh, the lawyer who had like worked for him for years was being interviewed. And he was talking about how um, he was just used to, everyone around him working for him and working yep. for him meant that you were like at his beck and call all the time. He was like, he didn't think anything of calling me in the middle of the night to this talk is about his
1: lawyer. Talking, yeah. Like a, a well-paid professional,
0: whatever he felt like talking yeah. about, even if it was like basically nothing to do with my lawyerly duties. Right. Yeah. Like, because he's, I'm paying you. So I yeah. own you basically. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's no need for me to worry about how you feel or what your face says when I, you know, interrupt you when you're speaking or whatever, because it doesn't matter. It's about me. It's about how I feel because I'm the center of this and he had, system, basically. he had
1: trouble maintaining relationships, especially with he women. He, like, didn't, and he ultimately yeah.
0: ended up murdering someone. Yeah. I mean.
1: Because he didn't have the ability to um, imaginatively interpret other other people and what yeah. they are feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So in the Jacobin article, Erickson is talking about the difference between working class and uh, middle class child rearing mm-hmm. and it basically comes down to that so there's basically two approaches to authority yeah so the middle class kids yeah are um encouraged to like question teachers or babysitters or babysitters whatever Whoever, yeah oh working me...
0: class kids are addressed uh, with directives right yes it's like yeah
1: you do this totally yeah well she starts out by saying that according to this study that she's um, overseeing from the 90s that doesn't matter on class level mothers across class are equally they use the phrase intensive mothering so like it's like an equal amount of warmth Mm -hmm. actually no matter what class position you are so it's not the stereotype that rich people have super cold families and that's what causes this problem it's really their relation to other people in the world outside of their family yeah um and the study also says the role of race really didn't factor in it was just until they get older until they get older, like. they just assume like when it's older of course they're gonna have to deal with like racial difference Mm -hmm. but when it comes to parenting styles it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. black or white what matters is middle class or working class and uh yeah the middle class kids give an enormous amounts of individualized attention where parents organize their own time around the kids uh the parents like lead play and they prompt the kids on Like, you were talking about the different textured bricks, right? So you buy these toys with instructions that are, like, suggestions for how to imaginatively stimulate your child and how to play with them that way. Whereas, yeah, for working class kids, they are, like, given directives. And it's not that there's less warmth. It's just a different way of treating them. Right?
0: Yeah. And I've, like, read about this or listened to, I don't know, podcasts or something about this before. And there is, like, an aspect of this that is, like, just basic survival, right? Which is that, like, Mm -hmm, those working class parents, like, are, it is about, right, they're trying to teach their kid, one, how to, like, self-control, because Mm -hmm. we talked about that. But also, they're basically, their whole lives are going to be in a position where they're going to be working for someone else or have a boss who's going to be telling them what to do or whatever, whereas the
1: absolutely Um, upper
0: class parents can imagine a world in which their children are going to be the boss and starting a business or need to be creative or they're going to be academics or yeah and so it's like there's a it is like a survival strategy you
1: know. so the the she says in the study the middle class kids squabbled and fought with their siblings and talked back to their parents and that wasn't tolerated for working class kids yeah and also the middle class kids were encouraged to question and negotiate with adults even outside of the family Mm -hmm. yeah so like it's a sense of entitlement that is distinctive to middle class children trained from birth is the way she phrases it but i think it's even more this uh different position in the hierarchy of society yeah with regards to like who gets to wield or is it's wielded on structural violence Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point yeah yeah so the working class kids are encouraged to distrust authority figures, but obey them. Yeah, because that's what you will have to do yeah. later in your life if you're in this station in yeah, society. Yeah, in like order you're to avoid violence. Yeah, yeah. Like um, when David Graeber is talking about imaginative identification and stuff, he there's a great quote he pulls out from bell hooks, and she talks about servants, you know, black or whatever, coming home and trading and sharing stories about how the white homes operate acting as informants who brought knowledge back to segregated segregated communities details facts psychoanalytic readings of the white other yeah, yeah. it's cool really interesting. so these white uh, so these white or the working class kids i mean are taught to be skeptical of authority mm-hmm. but not to openly question it yeah. so they're taught to yes imaginatively identify with authority so that they can better prepare themselves to like have it wielded against them
0: mm.
1: yeah but yeah. middle class kids Are not taught to be afraid of authority. They're taught to engage in it. Yeah, they're engage with it.
0: They're taught to wield it, right? To negotiate with it. I mean, that's what like that's essentially what you're doing, right? And that's why, like, when you're then a white, a middle class, upper middle class adult, and you get stopped by a cop, it's not the same fucking terrifying situation for you that it is for. David Graeber,
1: after he's explaining how rich people don't have to do this, imaginatively identify with other people, he says the other for the other side, this arrangement, you know, produces an abundance of imaginative identification. And his example is uh, uh, women, specifically women writers, like you know, um, Virginia Woolf. um, He says in their novels, like they constantly depict women's efforts to like manage, maintain, and adjust the egos of oblivious and self-important men Mm -hmm. involving the continual work of like imaginative identification and interpretive labor. And he talks about this crazy study or this crazy like exercise that um, high school teachers do where they ask the like creative writing class to imagine that they were the other gender for a day. Mm -hmm. And the women like consistently turn in you know great essays a lot of times a huge like a very significant minority of the boys won't do it at all yeah they just refuse to do it and even the ones who do have no idea what it's like to be a teenage girl but they take the um idea that they should even identify with the other as violence right but uh i immediately did think of race when he talked about how the other side produces an abundance of imaginative identification and the side with the power doesn't yeah um in my notes, I, I wrote, oof, this dynamic takes on a disgusting, tragic aspect when you think about how black people learn to treat police. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the lethal consequences of not fully imaginatively identifying with the police, you know, yeah. with potentially your abuser, yeah. or at least, you know, well, the, with the, the person, frightening. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Who's like threatened by just the, who sees the color of your skin as A death threat. (laughs)
1: Meanwhile, they are the ones who wield the actual threat of violence. Yeah. But they're afraid of you. Yeah. And you have no power at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's terrifying. You know, remember when we heard.
0: Oh, sorry. But I've just, I've heard people say this a lot recently, and it's so true. Like, you know, people with no training are Mm -hmm. being, like, required to be. The ones de-escalating yeah. conflict with people who have like lethal train, like yeah. training to be lethal, and it's like your ability to like like empathize, whatever, with that person is like what that's like a key way to de-escalate yeah. a situation. You and know? it's almost so of course it's like life, but and what's death, almost like,
1: even sicker is that minorities grow up their whole lives understanding how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, understanding how to be like kind and understanding and gentle towards the people who yeah. implicitly threaten lethality yeah towards them yeah which is know? why
0: then you have this whole idea of like black forgiveness or like forgiveness of the other you know it's almost supposed like supposed to be like really like powerful and cleansing right yeah. like that's I've why they ask like the victims of like dylan roof's like the families of the judge asked yeah of dylan roof's victims like forgive him in yeah. court there yeah it's
1: like reaffirming the social order
0: yeah
1: yeah i've always felt kind of implicitly that maybe the the ones who get shot by police do have like a heroic aspect to them because maybe they refuse this social reality oh, wow. Well, you know? it doesn't work but... for them or yeah I mean, but anyway their
0: families i guess
1: <laughs> yeah but why 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 can we see criminals as heroes in movies but not and really black people who aren't even criminals we yeah. see as criminals when they get killed by police instead of Oh. Um, having like a heroic aspect of defiance. and Most of the time, obviously, because they don't tragic. actually have defiance. Exactly,
0: but. because they don't have defiance and because it's really fucking tragic because this is someone's real life that just got Oh, but when
1: I reason. say we, I mean like most Americans don't see it as tragic. They see it as justified somehow. I don't. Yeah. And is uh, it most so Okay, well, you know, a lot of Americans, sadly. Remember when we heard that episode on The Reed like years ago? two or three, where there's that story and it was this was, like, before Ferguson and everything where two young black girls were, like, jaywalking. Oh, and yeah. And a police officer got mad at them and yelled at them. And then he and punched they like, one
0: of them in the face. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because she didn't immediately, like, defer to his authority yeah. and supplicate herself. In front yeah, because she, you
0: know, like, talked back or something.
1: From his perception, yeah. too. Like, yeah. Like, she could have just said, like, excuse me, you yeah. know? And, yeah. That's when the threat... Of violence that upholds the violent order that doesn't normally need to be expressed to uphold that order like gets laid down there
0: were a lot of black people i don't know, I remember if it was if the you know the reed people did but i know that i read about that in several different places like the root and slate and stuff and they like published like multiple oh. black people being like hey <laughs> uh like basically like shitting like not shitting on the girl, yeah but, you no know, that's what i forgot her. to
1: mention yeah it seemed like the Reed is a, a podcast by two young black people one woman, one yeah. man, yeah. queer man, maybe? They're both queer. Oh, okay. And their take was, like, those girls shouldn't have talked back to that police yeah. officer. Yeah, they're
0: like, don't you know better? Like... And we were
1: shocked because we're, yeah. like, basically middle-class white people. Yeah. And so we grew up learning, I, you know, I felt like when I went to college, I didn't really understand how to engage with authority completely because I didn't know, like, I could ask for better grades and stuff. Yeah. But like, that's a far cry away from... Thinking that police officers are, like,
0: Allowed to punch you in yeah, the face. Yeah. Or that you shouldn't talk back to them because they might. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine if something like that happened in, like, the neighborhood that I grew up in, you know. like no way, That would have been a huge scandal.
1: There would have been multiple people fired. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, they can kill black people. Yeah, yeah. I... yeah.
0: So, I mean, yeah. So now, like, that we kind of have a better sense of that, it's like, from their perspective, they, they knew that, obviously, yeah. back then, too. I've, I've but at the same like... time, it's like... Yeah, man, that fucking sucks. <laughs> I've
1: been feeling really sad too. Like in St. Louis, the family of this latest victim, who was actually killed years ago, and now there's finally a trial yeah. that got acquitted, are saying like, please don't riot, please don't, you know, please protest peacefully. Yeah, that's so sad too because they know that they have to act this way to fit within this system. But like, rioting, there people are rioting because the system's fucked up. Yeah, like that's a completely legitimate political action and point of view
0: yeah they're rioting because the cops said i'm gonna fucking murder that motherfucker and then did did. yeah
1: but his family
0: yeah of course they're saying what they're supposed to say
1: yeah then i mean i can't blame them but like it's still really sad that they are just acclimated to this yeah structure yeah yeah but yeah anyway we see that replicated in kids yeah class difference in kids wow that's a downer
0: yeah Way to end it on the down note.
1: Okay. Okay, cool.
0: We try not to be topical and we try to end our podcast on a low note.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah.
0: <laughs> we are the anti-cast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. This, like, lines up perfectly with why we assume the best about young and missing white women. Yeah. But, like, if you're not a young yeah. white woman and you're missing, we just assume you got into drugs or we're prostituting yourself or
0: something yeah totally yeah yeah okay well that's the podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay. hope you enjoyed it racism fucking sucks and <laughs> as does classism as apparently does child rearing in a capitalist society yeah okay <laughs> Should, do you have children i don't know but if but you if do, you do luck... like
1: Yeah, the only problems with having children are problems you're already dealing with, Yeah, apparently. That's what we learned from these readings. And even, yeah, it's so crazy that even middle class people clearly have this anxiety about their class status now. Because they're, you know, forcing it on their kids so much.
0: Yeah, but also, like, I mean, even barring medical illness or losing a job or losing a house or whatever... You know, there can there can just be another mm-hmm. crash, which there certainly will be. It's, like, yeah. it's about to come. I mean, it comes every 10 years. It's been almost that since our last one. Yeah. Like, it's coming.
1: Or you can use, lose your job to automation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's no reason to have any faith. But no matter what, those crashes are, like, cyclical. And everything's going to shit anyway. And, like, climate change is going to kill us all, yeah. even if nothing else does. So
1: So you have to be at the top of the heap just to survive theoretically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some real added pressure. Climate change. We didn't even talk about that. But I think that does give people a sense of impending doom in a sense that, like, there's more literally going to be limited resources, right? Not just limited resources in the sense of how much money you make and your access to a living wage, but, like, can you access clean water? Can you move to a place that isn't on fire? You know, <laughs> like,
1: it's yeah. already getting hard for some people to do that.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Okay, that's the end.
0: Goodbye.